pastors here, we uh, made a bet this morning. We wondered how many people would come to this service first, uh, first service, not but a uh, not a real bet. There's, you know, just Bitcoin, not real money. So, um, but yeah, so thank you for giving us a, a couple hours on maybe the nicest day in like six months. So, uh, well, well. Uh, we appreciate it. We, we do appreciate uh, you being here, especially if you're a visitor. We're glad that you're here. We want to welcome you to our church. And uh, like Peter was saying, we are in a sermon series that we're calling What is the Church? So the past five weeks, we're going to end next week, uh, we have been talking about different phrases or titles or, or symbolic language that the New Testament uses to describe the church. So we've looked at the, the gathering of Christ, the um, army of Christ, the sheep of Christ, and today we're going to look at the voice of Christ. So we're going to look at the Gospel of John. John was one of Jesus' disciples. He wrote about what he saw. And uh, we're going to look at the very beginning and the very end of the Gospel of John in order to see uh, how we get this, this idea, this title of the church being the voice of Christ. But before we jump into talking about the voice of Christ, we first need to talk about Christ himself. We need to look at Jesus and see his character and see his mission which will help us then understand how we get to the church being called the voice of Christ, why that's important, uh, etc. So we're going to start by looking at the Gospel of John. So like I said, John was one of Jesus' disciples. He uh, wrote about his eyewitness accounts of what he saw in uh, Jesus' life and ministry and teaching and miracles and death and resurrection. So John wrote about this. So if you want to open up your Bibles, we're going to be in John 1 for a little bit. It's also on the inside of your worship folders uh, the, the passage is printed out for you. So we're going to read the first few verses that start uh, the New Testament book of John. John 1, 1. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the very first thing we see as John opens up his book, the very first thing John wants us to see and know, doesn't even talk about Jesus' birth, he just starts off by saying who this Jesus character is. And the very first thing we see is that Jesus is given this title, he's called the Word, capital W Word, we see that's his name. And we see that the word is not only a name for Jesus, but this uh, first few verses of John is one of the clearest places in the New Testament that we see that Jesus is not just a prophet, not just a great teacher, but that he is actually divine. Jesus is God. He eternally existed with the Father and was there with him at the beginning of creation as the word of God. Again, verse 1 said, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So he's not just a rabbi. He's not just a first century teacher. He's not just a prophet or an, even an example for us, but he's God. God in flesh. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity who has eternally existed as God. Jesus, the Word, who was and is fully and truly God. We see that all in just the first two verses as John opens up his gospel account. The second thing we're reminded, which echoes and mirrors uh, the creation account at the very beginning of the Bible, the first few words of the Bible, if you know the book of Genesis. The second thing we see is that the way that God creates is through the Word. So we could have created through... Uh, just thinking it, he could have created through snapping his fingers, but he chose to create through the word. Verse 3 says, all things were made through him, him being the word. And without him was not anything made that was made. And then later on in verse 10, 
and the word and the world was made through him through the word through Jesus Christ so God creates through speaking that's how he creates in the very beginning of the Bible when he creates the cosmos and everything in it he creates through speaking and John helps us see that God as he spoke as he was creating through his voice that that word was the eternal divine second member of the Trinity God created through the word God created through Jesus and all throughout the Bible what happens is God speaks and creation obeys God speaks and reality comes into existence and, and, and listens and obeys. And at the least of this is when God creates at the very beginning. So in Genesis 1 and 2, we see that the way that God speaks, or the way that God creates is through speaking. And as the first readers would have read the very first few words in the book of John, where, where it starts out in the beginning, it's like a hyperlink for the first readers and for us who we see those words and we say, where else have we seen this? This reminds me of the very first words in the entire bible and it makes us think of how god created through his word in creation so if we flip back to the very first pages the first page even of our bible we see those exact same words so the very first three words in the bible in the beginning in genesis 1 1 god created the heavens and the earth and if we read the rest of genesis 1 we see how god creates verse 3 says uh, and god said let there be light. And guess what? Reality obeyed. Light began to exist just like that. And as if we'd keep reading all of Genesis 1, we'd see this pattern. God speaks and creation obeys. God speaks and stuff comes into existence. God creates through his word. So now, when Jesus shows up on the scene as God incarnate, fully God, but adding humanity to his divinity, God in flesh, we see even more clearly what's happening back here in Genesis 1. Now that we live on this side of the cross, now that we live uh, and we have the book of John, we're able to see that the way that God the Father was creating in Genesis 1 was through his word. It was through Jesus. And the New Testament continues to unpack this idea for us. In many different places in the New Testament, we'll look at one of those here that reminds us of this truth that God creates through his word, which is Jesus. Colossians 1, 16 says, For by, and that word by can mean by means of or in. So by mean, or for by means of Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So Jesus, the word of God, was the agent of creation through whom God made the heavens, and the earth. And now again, God is recreating through his word. God is now recreating through Jesus. And the salvation that Jesus brings and that is described through his death and resurrection is, is used or, and described uh, with creation-type language. So look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone puts their trust in Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. So Jesus' salvation is, is described in creation-type language. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The Gospel Transformation Study Bible uh, unpacks this a little bit for us. Helps us see the connection throughout all of God's creation, New and Old Testament. They write, Jesus is eternally one with the Father, the very Word of God, God's agent in creating all things. And as he spoke light and bright life, into the dark void of pre-creation chaos, so Jesus brings light and life into the dark world of sin and death. So God creates through his word. His word is Jesus Christ, and now he is creating again, not just by speaking from heaven, but rather by speaking through his son. God's recreating again, now through his word, making new creations in Christ. So now let's fast forward to the end of the book of John. We see the first few verses of how John begins describing about Jesus and his life and his, his ministry and his mission. Now let's fast forward to the very end of the book. So Jesus, at this point now, has lived a perfect life. He's now died on the cross. He's been executed, 
in our place on our behalf for our sins and he has raised from the grave. And the, the tomb is now empty. Some uh, women disciples have seen that the tomb is empty uh, and have, have told the, the disciples, but they're still not believing. Uh, they're still full of doubt and fear. And right now, his disciples, so pr- more than just the, the 11 or, or the 12, but probably uh, additional disciples as well, the disciples right now at this point are terrified. They're hopeless. So they, they have just seen and experienced the recreator die. Their Messiah has been killed. The one that they thought was going to bring new life into this world has been defeated by death. What you might think, so let's, let's just, uh, we're going to look at the disciples in a locked room, terrified and hopeless in, in just a second. But you would think, if Jesus wasn't really God, if all Jesus was was just a teacher, just, just a rabbi, just uh, someone who has really good morals or ideas or ethics for us to live by, if that's all he was, then his death would not shut down the disciples like this, right? If, if, if all he was was a teacher, it's like, well, you know, our teacher is dead, but that doesn't mean what he taught us to do. His ethics, his rules are bad, but rather what we do see is that his disciples are terrified. They're in a locked room. They're hiding. They're not out among the people saying, hey, this guy that we just killed, let me tell you about his really good teachings, his really good morals and ethics that we must follow. But rather we see the disciples in despair, not moved to love and good deeds, but rather we see them in a locked room terrified. So that's where we pick up the story. Very last chapter now of the book of John. So on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so that'd be Sunday, the doors being locked where the disciples were, For fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples were glad when they had seen the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So we look at these disciples here in this passage. We see them hopeless. We see them uh, full of fear, terrified, cowardly, hiding behind locked doors. But then something happens. Everything changes. The real, physical, resurrected Jesus in flesh, he arrives. He seeks out his disciples to prove to them that he really is who he said he was. He really is God. He really is the second person of the Trinity in human form, that he really did beat and and fully destroy Satan's sin and death uh, in his death and in his resurrection. And he tells them, come touch my physical body. See that I'm not just a ghost. See that I really did defeat death, that this is a real physical, human, yet resurrected and perfected body. And then he speaks to them. He says, Now peace be with you. Now after what I just did on the cross, my death in your place, and now if you have faith in me, now peace is possible. Peace with me. Peace with your creator God. And then out of that peace with others. The resurrected reigning king and judge of the universe declares, disciples, there now can be peace. No longer is there war and conflict and sin and death, but now through what I just accomplished, peace be with you. And he tells his disciples right after that, because of that, you will be my voice to the world. You will be the one that gets to go tell the entire world what just happened. You get to be the one to bring this good news of my death and my resurrection. And Jesus sends his church into the world. In what the, many people call John's version of the Great Commission, Jesus tells his disciples and in turn us that he is sending us into the world just as his Father sent him. As the voice of Christ into the world to tell of what just happened. This great, unbelievable news. And as the disciples are finally starting to understand what has just happened, what, what the effects of what Jesus just said and did mean, Jesus, the word of God, tells them that he's now going to use them 
even though he's resurrected and all-powerful and he's, he's God, he chooses, he wants to use a bunch of scared, terrified, uneducated people to spread his gospel. He wants to use the church to be his voice. Jesus, the creator of all life, is now going to use his disciples and his church to spread the word of his gospel to recreate new life. Jesus tells us that we are his voice to the world. And Jesus sends us into the world. He says, So as the Father has sent me, even now I am sending you. And so here in this passage, Jesus gives us a a way to understand and a way to see the church being the voice of Christ. A way for us to understand how and why we're supposed to be the voice of Christ as a church and, and as individuals as well. And through this, we're going to see uh, the posture and the mindset and the example of how we will be his voice. So Jesus says, as the Father has sent me into the world, so even I am sending you. So that asks the question, and the disciples, I'm sure we're thinking this through, and now we will, as a church, how did God the Father send Jesus into the world? And then relatedly, how does that posture, that motivation, that example, that mindset, how does that then transfer to us as we Go into the world. So Jesus was sent by God the Father, and we, as Jesus' disciples and his church, are sent into the world. Jesus left the comfort of his home. He left the comfort of his glory in heaven with God the Father and God the Son. So we, too, likewise, give up our comforts. As we move towards a lost and dying world that needs this good news, we intentionally give up our comforts. And as I just want to make a pause right here as we kind of go through this list. We're going to look at maybe 10 different ways that Jesus was sent into the world by the Father. What we cannot do is look at the stuff on this right side. We cannot say, what's on the right? That's just a new law for us as Christians. Or say, hey, you know, uh, Muslims do something, uh, Buddhists do something. Christian, our rules are just kind of here on the right just because, just because these are our rules. But rather, the reason we are called individually and as a whole church to do what's on the right is because Jesus first did what was on the left. Everything we're supposed to do and are called to do on the right is an example, is an embodiment, is a picture of what Christ first did for us. So that gives us the reason why. Why do Christians give up their comfort? Why don't we evangelize while we're very comfortable? Well, because Christ gave up all of his comfort to move towards us. So understanding this framework and how Jesus is sending us like he was first sent and how that connects with the gospel gives us the reason as well as gives us motivation behind it. We don't just do it as new rules, but rather what motivates us, what inspires us, what encourages us is Christ first did this for me. So when I have to give up my comfort to move towards someone who is unlovable and needs Jesus, My thought is not, oh, I just have to do this because it was on a slide during a sermon I I heard or because there's a Bible verse about it, but rather my thought is Christ first did this for me. A million times over, give up way more comfort to come towards me, towards us with his message of forgiveness and salvation. Next, Jesus condescended and humbled himself. He put on humanity. He stayed God, but he added humanity to his divinity and likewise we're called philippians 2 makes this connection we are called too to think of others as more important than ourselves philippians 2 does this great job of connecting what christ did and now what we do naturally because the spirit's in us because we're saved uh, that looks just like what christ did first for us even using the phrase have this mind christians which is actually already yours in christ jesus your, your mind, your thinking, your motivation is going to be just like Christ's was as he moved towards a lost and dying world that he loved deeply. Jesus came not as a king to set up an earthly throne and have humanity worship him, but rather, Mark 10, Jesus is clear, he came to serve. Likewise, we serve as Christ first served us. Jesus became like those he was trying to reach. 
He didn't become an angel. He didn't become a cloud. He didn't become some type of vision or a scroll that would make it very clear, the gospel. But rather, he chose to come like those he was trying to reach. He became a human because he was trying to reach humanity. So we likewise, and Paul picks up on this, uses similar language in 1 Corinthians 9, we become all things to all people so that we might share the gospel, so that we might win some for Christ. So we deny our rights. We give up our preferences in order to become all things to all people. Read 1 Corinthians 9. There's a great descriptor of what that looked like for Paul in his life. Talk about that, what that could mean for you and your friends and family. Talk about that with each other, with your community group this week. Unpack what that could mean. Jesus was sent by the Father. He entered into the world and the culture of those he was trying to save. Right? He didn't just come down and then be born of man and then sit in the Holy of Holies in the temple and say, world, come to me. But rather, he entered into the sinful, dirty, broken, impure world and culture of those he was trying to save. So we too, we don't run from the world and the culture and our city as if it is uh, an infected coronavirus room or something. But rather, we walk into it knowing that we're secure, knowing that we're safe, knowing that we have the cure. So our posture, just like Christ's was, is we don't run from the world and culture, but rather we move towards them and enter it as missionaries. Jesus came, uh, although he taught, although he did miracles and healings, he came primarily as someone who is preaching about the kingdom of God. He came preaching repentance, turning away from our sin and to him, and believing in him. See that in Mark 1, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, he describes it as that. So we too, as a church and as individual Christians, are primarily the voice of Christ. Of course, we also are the hands and feet, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But primarily, we are the voice of Christ. Charles Spurgeon is a famous uh, British uh, pastor uh, from 150 years ago. Uh, famously has said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Because by definition, a Christian is a sent one. A Christian is, is one who has been called and, and identified and defined as one who is the voice of Christ. And so just like Jesus moved into the world to reach those he was trying to reach, all Christians are called to do the same. And to be clear, we don't just do everything on the right here, because we are good missionaries, as if we look to our global missionaries as the ultimate version of Christianity. But rather, like our global missionaries, we too look back at Jesus, the one great missionary sent God who came to reach us. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when we, when we say that, some of you might be really excited, the stuff we just talked about for a few minutes. You might be like, yes, let's do this. Let's, let's storm the gates of hell. Let's rescue people out of sin and death. Yes, we have the best weapon, the best news. We, we have an army here to go spread this news and share the gospel, to use a bunch of the titles we've been using throughout this series. But many of you are probably thinking, oh, crap, I'm, I'm not very good at this. Or I don't really like people that much. Or like the, the people that God's put in my life are quite annoying and they don't listen well and I don't want to spend time with them. Or maybe we just know ourselves really well and we say, yeah, but I'm selfish. I love my time. I love my comfort. I'm prideful. I think I'm better than the morons that God has put in my life. And so for many of us, hearing that we're the voice of Christ might actually feel like a burden, might, might feel like something we just want to close our ears to and, and forget about. Or we might, we might even be saying, even if it is Jesus who is sending me, how can I ever hope to live humbly? How can I ever help to deny myself? How can I ever help to kill this paralyzing fear I have about spreading the gospel? How do I have any hope of denying myself and, and being the voice of Christ? You're not alone. If that's you, you're not alone. Most of us in the room feel something like that or, or all of that. And remember too, who is Jesus speaking to right now? Who is he speaking to? 
speaking to his disciples, and what was the, 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 the disciples' state right now? They're cowardly. They're terrified. They're hopeless. They didn't listen to a bunch of Jesus' teachings where he says, I do have to die. I'm going to die, but I'm coming back. This is my mission. This is the point of why I'm here. And they're hiding behind a locked door because they're terrified. And, and Jesus speaks all this to them. So he's not speaking to the greatest evangelists of the world or the, the strongest people or the most confident people in the world. He's saying this to people just like you and me. Back again to verse 21. Jesus said to his disciples again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So in kind of a, a, a precursor, a, a whisper of what was about to happen, a uh, big picture with Pentecost and in just a few days after this, we see Jesus give uh, a declaration over his people, over his church. You are my voice. You will be my voice. And guess what? Here's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God to live inside of you that guarantees that this is going to happen, that gives you the power to do what I just told you you're going to do. So the answer to how, how are we going to be the voice of Christ as a church and as individuals, the answer to the how that we're going to be heralds and declarers and proclaimers, proclaimers of the gospel is that the Holy Spirit is going to live within us and empower us. So we can add to our chart here, how was Jesus sent into the world by God the Father to bring about the gospel? He was filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Look at the Gospel of Luke. The, Luke picks up on this a ton, saying, by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, Jesus did his ministry to remind us that he also was filled by the Spirit. And likewise, we too, the way that we can be the voice of Christ individually and as a church is by being filled and given power by God himself, the Holy Spirit, who lives with, within every Christian and just like the passage we looked at last week, if you were here in Ezekiel, we need to have power breathed into us. We need to have life breathed into us. The mission and the work of being the voice of Christ doesn't just come out of our own strength, our own brilliance, or wisdom, or our own grit and hard work, but Jesus gives us the means, the power in which to carry out the mission that he's given us. He fills us with his Holy Spirit, he empowers us to live as sent ones, to live as missionaries, to live as his voice piece to the world. And if you look at these disciples, these men and women who Jesus first gave this mission to, if you look at their lives afterwards, they are unrecognizable. If you read the rest of the New Testament, uh, the book of Acts, if you were around here, all these characters, all these disciples, uh, or church history, they're unrecognizable from who they were before the resurrected Jesus showed up before them and, and filled them with the Holy Spirit. All of these people, men and women, are proclaiming this gospel. Now, they're not terrified, hiding, hopeless, behind locked doors. Uh, their story after this is they are proclaiming this gospel to the people that killed Jesus, to, to, to rulers and kings and authorities and soldiers. And many of them uh, died. Many of them were martyred. All of them were poor and persecuted. Many of them were tortured and executed for their faith. Because the Holy Spirit empowered them, they were able to be the voice of Christ. They were able to do the mission that God called them to. And we too have that same spirit as well. Through the gospel, we are recreated. We start looking just like those disciples, terrified, hopeless, behind locked doors. But Jesus shows up. He saves us from our sins. He breathes life into us, and we're given new life. We're new creations. We're recreated, and now we're filled with the Holy Spirit of God who lives in us and who, like the disciples before us, is now changing us. We go from fear to boldness. We go from hopelessness to hope in our lives having meaning. Author and pastor Jeff Vanderstelt writes about this. He says, everywhere you go, Christian, everywhere you go, church, whatever you do, you are a missionary sent by Jesus to love like Jesus 
overcome sin like Jesus, proclaim the gospel like Jesus, and see people's lives changed by the power of the Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. As the Father has sent Jesus into the world, he sends us, his church, with the mission of bringing the message of salvation to the world. We are the voice of Christ. In this series, we've been doing a lot of uh, kind of these three top or three main themes. So we say, what is this title? What does it mean? Then the second part we talk about, so how does this play out in our church? So if High Wealth the Church really is the voice of Christ, if we individually as Christians are the voice of Christ, how does this look practically? How does this play out? So we're going to look at that next, and then we'll end uh, wrap, we'll wrap up by making a clear connection to how this is good news. It's not just a burden. It's not just something to be afraid of, but how it is good news. But first, how does this play out here at Hiawatha Church? First thing is, we need to look at our vision as a church. So if you want in one sentence to understand why Hiawatha Church exists, it is this. We exist as a church to glorify God by spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in word and deed among our church, out to our city, and beyond. So we think God is most, most glorified, most worshipped, made most famous. He's most honored when the gospel is spread, when the gospel is told. His plan of salvation and rescue of humanity is defeat of our enemies. I think God is most glorified when the gospel is spread and proclaimed and embodied through good deeds demonstrated by, uh, by love for each other. The gospel is shown through deeds. Of course it is. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. So don't hear me say deeds aren't important. The gospel does, uh, is shown and embodied through deeds. But the more explicit, the more important way that the gospel is spread is through words. The gospel is a message, right? And while in a lesser way it can definitely be seen, a message must be heard in order for it to be understood. People must speak it. Notice, too, that the gospel isn't just a message for those outside of the church. We say uh, our, our goal as a church is to spread the gospel in word and deed among our church and out to our city and beyond, but the gospel is also a message for us as Christians. We need to know this good news every single time we gather with friends, with our family members, with community groups on Sunday mornings. The gospel is good news that we need to hear over and over and over again. We need to be the voice of Christ, not just to those who don't know Jesus yet, but to each other. We are the voice of Christ to other Christians. The gospel is for Christians. Pastor and author J.D. Greer writes about this. He said, The gospel is not just the diving board of which we jump into the pool of Christianity. It is the pool itself. The gospel is the pool itself. It is not only the way we begin in Christ, but the gospel is the way we grow in Christ. All of the Christian life flows from the good news of what Jesus has done. Words are primary. The gospel is a message to be shared, both to Christians and those who aren't Christians yet as well. And even though words are primary, words are most important, deeds are also essential. They're vital, just like we said in our vision statement here as a church. Our deeds point to our words. Our actions validate this gospel that we're preaching. Our good works don't save us, but they do show the world and ourselves and everyone watching a picture, an experience of this gospel that we're preaching. Or as we say all the time here, our deeds embody the gospel. Our deeds uh, in a bodily form show off this message that we are sharing. So if you're a math person, uh, I know my wife likes math, um, this might be helpful for you. So deeds point ahead to words, okay? The point we do deeds, and we saw that in that chart before, our deeds are not just random. The good ethics and deeds and works Christians are called to do, they're not just random. They're pointing to the word. They're pointing to the gospel. They're embodiments of that. So our deeds should point to our words, yet our words are more important than our deeds. And of course, this doesn't mean that we don't ever just love people without saying, well, first I got to tell you the gospel. I got to go through this checklist here. But rather, if we only love people, if we only show generosity and kindness and forgiveness, but never share the message, we have not truly or fully loved them. So we want to get to those words. 
And Jesus did this, right? What we see here on the bottom, words being more important than deeds or his deeds pointing to words. Jesus did this all the time in his ministry, right? He, he made bread and fed people and then said, hey, this miracle that you just saw and experienced and ate, let me tell you about something even greater. I am the bread of life. If you eat of me, you will never be hungry. Jesus healed diseases and then used that to point to the gospel, to say, I, I, I can heal you of your greatest disease, your disease of sin and death, and I can heal you of that eternally and spiritually. He literally raised people from the dead and then used that to teach people that he can raise people not just from the dead once and then they die again later, but that through faith in him, people could be raised from the dead forever, eternally, spiritually, and physically. And so while as a church we're passionate about deeds that picture the gospel, we can't just remain there forever. We also must share the gospel in words. Or another way to say it, we can't just be the hands and feet of Christ. We're also, and even primarily, the voice of Christ. Explaining the way of salvation and forgiveness and eternal life and reconciliation with God and a life that's full of a meaning and abundance, and belonging. The book of Romans gets at that in chapter 10. How then will they, so people who haven't heard and believed in Jesus yet, how will they then call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless someone is sent? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So people come to faith. People are saved through Jesus Christ from hearing the word of Christ, from hearing the gospel. No one has ever entered the kingdom of God through only seeing an action or only seeing a deed, but rather people are saved through hearing the gospel. So practically, just how, how does this look at Hiawatha Church? How does this play itself out? How do we see Hiawatha being the voice of Christ? Well, like I said, we preach the gospel all the time. Every Sunday, we intentionally preach it, explicitly preach it to ourselves, to the dozens of visitors who are coming who aren't Christians yet, who are just curious about Christianity, or maybe they got dragged here. That's you. We're, we're glad that you're here. We're really glad that you are here. We want you to be here, and you are always welcome. But we're not just preaching the gospel to you. We're preaching the gospel to ourselves explicitly every week because it's our identities and because we forget and because it is so important but not only that we train uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of our people to teach this gospel okay not just preaching on a sunday morning on the stage but to teach this gospel in in dozens of places like our kids ministry classrooms in our youth group in mops in our hli courses in our men's and women's events and in our community groups and relatedly, uh, we also, not, not just teachers, but we highly value helping all of our people find their spiritual gifts and grow in their spiritual gifts to be able to embody and share and, and explain and demonstrate the gospel in however God is calling them and using them. And not only do we make it very clear that we preach the gospel and, and teach it well, we also uh, make sure our song lyrics are, are clearly and truly reflecting the gospel. So not only inside our building, which most of this happens inside our building or when we gather, but we also value uh, not just us being the voice of Christ, but there being many voices of Christ or, or the gospel uh, starting up new churches, new outposts for the gospel, both here in our city and nationwide and globally as well. So as a church, we highly value planting new churches, starting new churches to be the voice of Christ wherever God places them, whether that's in a different part of our city or a different part of our globe. And by God's grace, we've been able to plant a number of churches ourselves, sending our own people, our own resources, our own leaders and money to start new churches. And every year as a church, we actually put 10% of our church's budget towards church planning. We want to put our money where our mouth is. We want to help fund uh, the gospel expanding and new churches being started. So for us, that means this year, 2020, we'll put nearly 50 grand towards, specifically towards helping new churches get started, towards church planning. Not to mention the, the global missionaries that we have, that we've sent out and who we financially support doing church plant stuff 
in their local contexts all across the globe. So, for example, last year, not only did we support the, the church plants that we've started financially, but we're also able to send out lots of money through our denomination, which is called Converge Worldwide, to help plant three new churches in India and in Nepal, in Nepal. And then also through our uh, church planting network, Acts 29, we're able to help uh, train many, many pastors and help uh, plant a bunch of churches in Guatemala and throughout rural Central America. So cool, exciting stuff that God is doing through us and through other believers uh, being the voice of Christ all over the world, not just here in South Minneapolis. And then finally, uh, or, and we also yeah, send and support global missionaries. If you want to learn more about them and uh, what they're doing right out here in the Fireside Room, there's more information connected to that poster and there's some pamphlets you can grab and learn more, contact them, pray for them, encourage them. And then finally, there's one more way that uh, this actually plays out. This another way that we see this at Hiawatha. And that is we realize that the gospel is the greatest uh, resource, the greatest gift that we have and can give to each other and to our city. So not to, again, we highly vet. We're passionate about deeds as well. But we realize that we don't try to meet the smaller needs of our city at the expense of meeting their greatest need. So we don't only, uh, you know, volunteer and give food and, and, and put on Band-Aids and, and, and uh, give job training and, and give gifts at the expense of sharing this good news that is the greatest thing that we all need, but rather we, uh, if we have anything to give, it is the gospel. And we, that, that, that thought, that truth is something that intentionally leads us in how we move towards our city and our neighborhood and, and beyond. So while we're passionate about serving and blessing our city in tangible, material, and relational ways, both as a whole church, if you want to know more about that, talk to me, or as individuals or as community groups, as families, we highly value that. We also realize who we are. We are a church and we are the voice of Christ. Our best thing we can give to our city is the gospel. And that's not a cop-out. That's, that's just true. Uh, a fellow pastor, X-29 pastor in uh, Detroit, Tyler St. Clair, is a great guy. He was meeting with a bunch of fellow pastors and church leaders, church planners here in uh, Minneapolis, and uh, a number of us were here. I think Chris and Emily and maybe Leah and Laura were there. Uh, he, he was reminding us that, guys, we are churches. We're not uh, NGOs. We're not soup kitchens. We're not schools. We're not social clubs. We're churches. Not that all those things are bad. Those are great things. We love those things. We support those things. But he says, remember that we are a church. And our, our, our mission is to spread the gospel and to make disciples. So don't be embarrassed about that. Don't be shy about that. And yes, meet tangible needs. That's great. But don't feel guilty that you're giving them something way better than just something that's temporal. He reminded us, and this is a great word for all of us, he reminded us church leaders, but it's good for all of us to hear, we have the greatest, longest-lasting, eternal, spiritual, and true gift that is the gospel, the greatest thing that people need. All right, so now as we kind of wrap up, hopefully today has not just felt like a burden. It's not just felt like a law or something that we're just terrified of trying to keep but hopefully we've seen how it actually is good news. But we're going to wrap up by just being very clear. How is this, how is you, if you're a Christian here today, how is you being uh, a part of the voice of Christ? Or how about the church being the voice of Christ? How is that actually good news to us? Not just another burden or something we have to work really hard at doing or else. So as we do that, let's go back to John 1. A couple of the verses we read but didn't really unpack to see how the church being the voice of Christ is actually good news. First thing is, we see in John 1 that the creative, divine word of God came back into the world to create and give life again. The creative, divine word of God came back into the world to create another time in order to give life again. We saw in verse 14, the word became flesh. Jesus the second person of the Trinity, became human and he came and dwelt 
among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's like we saw last week as we uh, looked through um, Ezekiel, or if we read from Ephesians 2, we're described as, apart from Christ, being spiritually dead, being dry bones, being corpses. And if that's who we are, apart from Christ, it's the greatest news to hear that the one who brings life, the one who recreates, the one who has power to breathe power and life and existence back into the dead, he's come back. And it is great news. The gospel's the greatest news that the living dead, that spiritual zombies, that uh, valleys full of dead, decayed, dry bones, that's the greatest news that they can hear. That the word, the creator, is speaking again. That breath will come and fill and bring new life into us again. And Jesus comes full of grace and truth. Not law, not anger, not punishment, but mercy and kindness and grace and truth towards us. And he offers that to everyone here today, whether for the the very first time or whether for the millionth time he offers this new life. Secondly, how is this good news? Through receiving him, this, this, the word of God who has now come to, to bring life again, through receiving him and believing in his name, we can now become not just alive, but we can become children of God. We can be adopted into his family. We can have belonging. We can have a life that has meaning. In verse 12 we read, but to all who did receive him, and if you're wondering, how do I receive Christ? What does that mean? It says in the very next phrase, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. So by believing in Christ, by trusting in his death in your place and his resurrection, by trusting in that, we can now be recreated. We can now be new creations. We can be born again. We can have life again. Born a second time, not by human ways, but by the Spirit. And we can be born not into a human family, but now into a spiritual family, now into God's family. We can be adopted into his family. And then third, even this, even us becoming children of God, even us being adopted into his family is not about our ethnicity. It's not about our bloodline. It's not about our desire or our will to join his family, nor is it about our hard work or grit or determination to be in his family. Verse 13 (laughs) makes this very clear. These new people are born of God, born not of blood, so not being of Jewish or uh, ancestry or from the family of Abraham or something, or uh, who were not, it wasn't because they were born of blood, nor was it uh, by the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So it's very clear. We're reminded that God is the one Who's doing it? God is the active agent behind our salvation, behind our adoption into his family. We're not lovable orphans that God picks us because we're lovable or because we're of the right bloodline or ethnicity or or because we've worked really hard to earn it or to look good or because we're really determined or we have a great resume. But we're born of the will, not of man, but of God's own will himself. He's the active agent in our good news, in our adoption, in our new life. And this good news doesn't stop there. As recreated, adopted children of God, he now gives us the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity, now lives within us. The Holy Spirit's also called the the guarantor of our inheritance. It's a guarantee that we will stay uh, members of his family, that we, can't, that we have great security and protection, that we are adopted into God's family, and we now have the, the, the Holy Spirit that seals our inheritance and our salvation. And now, as we're called the voice of Christ, there's now power in our evangelism, in our missional living. And Jesus declares that it will happen, that Hiawatha Church will be his voice piece to our city and beyond. He's declared that if you are a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within you and you will be used by him as his voice. We get to be the voice of Christ individually and as a church. And it's by God's great grace 
that he lets us tell the world the greatest news. He lets us be in on the secret, and and he lets us share it with others. He gives us the privilege of being his messengers, his voice to each other all the time, and his voice to the world that does not know him yet. Just like we want to be the person that shares, hey, did you hear? This person's cancer is cured. Or just like we want to be the person that shares the news of, hey, they had a baby. Or, hey, the victory is won. Whatever the good news is, we too are given the responsibility and the joy of being the proclaimers and the declares and the sharers of the gospel. That Jesus Christ, the word of God, has come into this world to recreate, to give life, to save from sins, to die in our place, and to breathe into dead people, give them life that we are now born again, born into a new family, and are now sons and daughters of God through the gospel. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this unbelievable news that not only are we saved by grace into your family, but that, God, you, you want to use us. It is just crazy to think. You, you could declare the gospel to the world through a scroll in the sky, through visions, through angels, through countless other ways but you want to spread the gospel through us. You want to give us the great joy of being the mouthpiece and the bringers of this, the greatest news that we have ever heard and that our world has ever heard. So Holy Spirit, change our hearts. We know by ourselves we are fearful and lazy and prideful and selfish. So Holy Spirit, uh, change our hearts. Give us new hearts, new minds that uh, go into the world as sent ones, as missionaries that look to you as the first missionary, the greatest Uh, sent one and as the father sent the son into the world we pray high about the church and us as individuals and families and community groups as well uh, would be sent into the world that we would look like christ as we're both through word and deed uh, declaring and demonstrating the gospel uh, good news to our city and beyond we pray this in your powerful and saving name this morning jesus amen amen let's stand as we respond together with one last song